0: Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, Also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets. You name it, if it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. so. Check them out, noboringdesign.com. Noboringdesign.com. Welcome to Season 3 of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season 3 is brought to you by ChargeBee. ChargeBee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize their growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. Really excited to have Randy Frisch on the show today. Randy, you co-founded Uberflip, and today it sounds like you've had a couple of roles there, but today you're the CMO.
1: Absolutely, I I mean, we co-founded a marketing company because I love marketing and early days in any company. I think you, you wear all the hats and eventually you fill the ones that you don't want to do and you get to go back to what you really care about. So for me, that's being a CMO and being a marketer,
0: man, a glutton for punishment. You just <laughs> double in down. I love it. Um, so let's talk about that. I mean, a marketing, a marketing company by marketers, like the, We're we're deep in the category. So, I know one topic in particular that would be interesting for us to dive into in this episode is kind of category creation and and the journey that you've been on with that, some of the decisions that you've had to make over time, maybe some mistakes that you made and things you did really well and, and takeaways that folks who maybe listening today thinking, you know, Hey, we, we want to carve out a category. We want to create a category, or maybe they're shying away from it. Like, oh, we don't know if it's going to be worth it to create a category Um, lessons that they could put into effect.
1: Absolutely. And and, uh, before we even jump in, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat early in my tech ventures myself. So I I never willfully went into category creation. I kind of had no choice. So you're going to hear my perspective having, I, I mean, granted I have over 10 years of this now, but you know, what the experience has been, why we had to go that route. And, you know, at the end of it, you can ask me, I guess, if I would ever do it again. I don't, I don't know. It depends on the day of the week, but uh, someday, sometimes it's a lot of fun. And some days you look at people with this, you know, beautiful Forrester Wave or Gartner Magic Quadrant, and you're like, ah, oh, if I could just drop myself through good execution into a leadership category, like, give me that. But you know, there, there's there's pros and cons of both.
0: Cool. Well, yeah, let's start. Let's start at the beginning. Like, what was, what was the early conversation, whether it was in your head or with, with the team? I'd imagine it was a group conversation around, like, should we try to fit ourselves into an existing category? Was there even one that you were considering and then the decision to ultimately not do that?
1: Yeah, so I won't take you through our history, but you know, to timeline this, we started the company back in 2012, and that's when content marketing was really on this big rise. And we we had an MVP that we looked at in terms of where it would fit. And and although we thought about going down the create content trap that we saw so many companies investing and in big VC checks being written for. We kind of said to ourselves, you know what, like we're kind, we felt late to that game. And we said, but there's going to be a problem that comes after that. And that problem we predicted was people would have so much content, they wouldn't know what to do with it, right? Like, you know, if everyone's helping create a content machine or create a publishing group inside of their business, what comes next? So early on, we said, okay, well, we'll just be that next step of content marketing. And we had various different ways that we showed this idea of experience, as we called it, to be somewhat of a niche or a subcategory was the term that we used in, in those days of content marketing. And that that's how we tried to make it work for the first number of years. And we kept butting our heads up against a wall, both with potential buyers with analysts that we'd speak to because what we had to do is start every conversation without getting into specifics to say we we work with this strategy but we work not on the strategy that you're focused on right now we're going to help you after that and it was very confusing because you know think about that as to whatever you might be selling as you listen to this podcast you know that's, that that you really have to start by saying we're in this category, but we're not this category, and and that's it's it's almost like a waste of of breath in the first you know six minutes of every pitch that you would do. So it, it was somewhat something we didn't realize at the beginning, but we started to butt our head against, and we eventually realized that it was more important to speak to what we were doing as the next chapter, if you will, uh, and in turn its own category than a subcategory. So
0: 2012, I mean this is when not to say that they aren't still a big voice in, in the industry, but you know, this is when HubSpot and inbound marketing was just on fire with everybody yeah. want everybody wanted this like elusive what is content marketing? How can we make it work for us inbound marketing? So, how much did that either help or hurt this this kind of situation you're in?
1: Yeah, so so first off, you know, we took a lot of inspiration by you know the the trailblazing that, that HubSpot was doing, and a funny funny story actually. I mean, the company is called Uberflip uh, today, and since then, but we we had a logo, a name, everything ready to go that was quite different. It was we were going to be called Flipbound. And the reason we were going to be flip down was, was multiple. We started off our, our MVP, as I spoke to earlier, we've gone well beyond this was this page flipping software. So it was bound by a book, but it also had that inbound component to it. Now, I mean, part of the funny story, the concern at the time by some people we knew is remember that company flipboard? I mean, yeah, some people showed sure. that up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was like going to be the biggest thing ever. And they're like, Oh, someone's going to sue you over that. Um, <laughs> Uber, ironically, was not so big then, uh, but now obviously people always ask, why did we choose Uber in front of our name? Yeah, you know, what were we thinking? <laughs> Anyhow, so so to your to your real question though, there, yes, I, I mean the reality of what was happening around us was this mindset of what what problem will the will will come from what they're solving, right? And and HubSpot in in themselves, they were not necessarily even a content creation platform, but they were advocating so heavily for that as part of this inbound mindset that they've also had to evolve a little bit themselves since. But, you know, we looked at it. I mean, there were companies around us. Uh, some of the big ones at the time are companies like NewsCred, uh, which I think is more recently rebranded as, as Welcome or something like that. Um, there's There were companies like Contently, there were companies like Capost, and they were raising like can I say shitloads? Yeah, yeah. All yeah, right, go good for stuff. it. Let it loose. Uh, <laughs> shitloads of money. Like we we couldn't believe it, and we had no idea we were doing raising capital at the time either. Uh, and, and we just predicted that if we solved for that, there'd be something that that happened next. Now it took longer than we expected, and that's. One of my cautions to you is there's a lot of benefit to be early, but you got to kind of figure out how you time that. And I remember one of my investors today is is a very senior guy at LinkedIn. And I went in at the time to pitch him that we should partner with LinkedIn because, you know, LinkedIn, this was when they had just bought, I, can't, I think it was uh, Bizo or something like that. I can't remember what the company like was the contacts. called. It was more about uh, retargeting. It was like early ad retargeting. And the idea was that they want, they now had this product to do a sponsored ad, which we all know is content, et cetera today. And I was like, you know we should be where someone clicks after they go to that piece of content. We want to power that destination. And he was like, listen, Randy, he's like, I, I love that vision, but right now we just need people to create enough content that they can fill into the ads that they're trying to buy with us. And the, you know, the, you know, today we look back and we're like, I can't imagine there was a time where we didn't have enough content, but that was the problem in that moment. So we had to kind of sit by and watch the market mature. We had to align ourselves closely to content marketing and content creation. But it was only once, you know, that started to grow enough that we took the time to start to really define elements of what the distinction was. What was content marketing? And in contrast, what we were doing, what is content experience? And that started with, with elements as simple as what is the definition? So that if someone Googles it, if someone's looking it up, that they, they come across us. Now, you fast forward only a couple, a couple of months ago, a, a research firm called Aragon Research did this whole report on the new category of content experience platforms, and they're talking now about other solutions not just us in the market but what's exciting is in that research they cite back to you know 9 years ago Uberflip has been talking about this and has really laid the groundwork for what that you know what those definitions are what we can turn to so you know there's a lot of value in being early but it you know you butt your head against the wall sometimes because you're really in education mode
0: what uh were there any other category names
1: in like in the running? You know, what it is, uh, it's, it's funny you asked that. And, and I only say it's funny because this this research report by Aragon, which is, is very well done in some ways. One of the funny, and this is, these are just the silly nuances that you get, you lose sleep over, was, you know, remember, we called it content experience platform. And, you know, if you were to do that as a short form, you would do something like CXP. But we were very concerned in that moment to be like, well, no, CX is customer experience. That's going to be super confusing. <laughs> we don't want to confuse customers even more. As much as we didn't want to use an E for experience, we're like, we got to go C E P. And sure enough, Aragon comes out with their research. They, you know, they give us credit, but they you know, the acronym that they use is nice. CXP. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, listen, it's it's confusing for buyers. We have to recognize that we got to do our best to not come up with a new acronym, not come up with a new term, uh, but that's you know, I, I, I think that's becoming easier. And that, and that was one of the things looking back once we had solidified this concept of a category is making sure that we defined it consistently in as many places as possible. Now, one of the things that we knew is analysts would be a lot slower to adapt, right The foresters, the Gartners, Unless they can sell, and I mean this respectfully to them because there's, there's really bright analysts there, but you know, they make money off selling reports and, and, and people leaning in on reports. In those early days, they're not going to pick up coverage until there's really mass interest in those. Um, you know, ABM is an example has taken off. And as a result, they've all come around and start to report on those categories. So what we did was we kind of worked around. The analysts. Uh, we we still spent a lot of time with them, but I uh, I focused very early on. I know now it's it's much more mainstream, but focused on working with G two uh, and working with a group like that. We got to go to them and say, "Listen, content marketing is really confusing because if you looked at content marketing, you had solutions in there that helped you create. You had solutions in there that helped you distribute. You know, companies like Outbrain and Taboola, if you know them." And then you had companies like us who helped with that experience. You had probably other ones also that called themselves a pure play analytics. But, you know, all of those became very confusing. So we got them on board with this idea of no longer having a, a content marketing grid. They called them a grid, uh, but actually having, you know, a content creation grid, having a content experience grid and aligning the companies and getting the other companies to come along and say, this is what we are. And in some ways, that even meant we were helping our competitors, right? Because now our competitors had a better home as well. Uh, But I would rather that. I'd rather a customer know that they've got to chat with me and three of my competitors than me and 10 other companies that are all fighting for shared wallet. Right. Get super confused in the process and then not know where to spend their money. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right, so before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. So okay, so you so you defined what it was gonna be, you came up with your name, you came up with your acronym. Um, what were some of your kind of like the the must-have next steps that were top of mind then? And then also I'm curious, were there any things that in retrospect you wish you had in that early list of here's what we need to do based on what you learned?
1: Sure. Um so, so the first thing is you, you got to figure out when are you starting to go about this category creation and what type of budget do you even have to work with? Um, you know, ironically, we're talking about content here. The least expensive thing to do is go and create content. I mean, you got to create great content and you got to be very careful about as we've talked about how you define what keywords you use, what are people searching for and how do you align? Or sometimes as I call it, you got to, Trojan horse in your category with something else. Um, and what I mean by that is an example on the, on the content side is, you know, I, I, I would go to marketing conferences. I mean, obviously pre pandemic, you know, when we would actually see each other <laughs> and you'd, you'd walk around there and you, you know, marketers like to talk to each other, right? And, and they like to talk about things that are keeping them up at night. And one of the things I would listen to is like, no one was talking about being kept up at night by content experience. That's what I wanted, but no one was, you know, like when, when you naturally have that, like, you know, I got a beer and we're standing at the side of the room and, you know, there's some, you know, silly band, you know, being overpaid, like to, you know, John legends being paid, you know, some sort of, you know, six figure amount to like entertain us. Um, But you do end up passionately talking peer to peer And the category I wanted them to talk about wasn't what they were talking about, but the way I would approach it was what I would call Trojan horse it in. And meaning that I would ask them, what is keeping them up at night? So what's keeping them up Mm -hmm. at night these days, account based marketing. Okay. Well, where does content play into account based marketing? Where does it play into your approach to engaging accounts? Where are you sending them? How are you engaging in them uh, along the way? And those are the ways I, you know, we made an effort from a content perspective, even early is to look at what was trending and how did we align to that? So how to use content experience to improve your ABM would be a great example today back then it may have been more as we said around inbound you know what is the key to content experience to improve the results of your inbound strategy? So content's a you know definitely a, an important one. When you start to, to really be ready to invest either because you've you know built the cash flow or you've raised capital or whatnot, you know one of the things that I, I think really you know distinguishes leaders is, hosting an event and creating an event is obviously a very expensive and time consuming thing to do, but it allows you to really set yourself up as, uh, you know, the authority, the lead of bringing people together. So
0: your first event, you know, you're a smaller company, right? How big were you when you threw your first event?
1: Uh, uh, I, I think the first time we really did a big pull everyone together event was probably 2015. So it was still pretty early on. Uh, and our, our goal, I remember our goal was 200 people. That's what we wanted. We wanted to pull 200 people and we, we did hit the goal. We like, I felt like it was like election day where we were like putting people in cars in the city and being like, we'll, we'll pay to get you there. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it was all done legally, of course. But the, <laughs> you know, the the reality, though, was we we looking back that year, we made a big mistake, and I'll, I'll tell you what that mistake was. We went out, and of course, we were trying to build the importance of experience. Uh, but we called the event the Uberflip Experience, and in you know, in in one way, it was great because our logo and our brand shined so bright for every one of those two hundred people who showed up, but. On the flip side, what we realized is we still had a very much growing customer base, small but growing and very loyal, but it was going to be really hard to convince your boss to let you go to the Uberflip experience if you weren't an Uberflip customer. And what we were really trying to do is build in points of the category in that moment. So what we did the following year and the years to come is we really removed Uberflip from any of the branding associated in in many ways the way we did it is that we were the presenting sponsor but if you came you almost didn't know that we were the presenting sponsor or, or sorry producing the event other than you know you'd see our logo a lot more than others i would MC in some sort of capacity so you know i had a little bit more stage time but it, it really allowed us you know a couple of things number one it added more credibility more pull but it also allowed us to bring in a lot of great thought leaders as speakers who were interested to tie themselves to this growing category, and you know we didn't even have to pay them because they wanted to speak at an industry event, and these were you know people that we couldn't afford to pay, but they they were they could typically command twenty to thirty k as a speaking gig at, at some of these events that we would see them speak you know at Oracle's event for or Salesforce's event for, and we were able to really rally, I think, by, by making this an industry event. And one of the you know, early things we did even was invite some of our competitors to speak at the event uh, <laughs> or sponsor the event. And, and that really, I think made it a more pure play approach. How,
0: um, how did those conversations go? I mean, it must've been an interesting experience, at least the
1: first time around approaching your competitors and being like, Hey, come on in water's warm. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, we were also at a very early point where the, you know, it's, you know, if we think marketing, it's not like we were Marketo asking Eloqua to speak at our event. You know, we weren't head to head quite yet on features, etc. Uh, you know, it was more people that were also, you know, trying to carve out their niche and content experience. Uh, one of them who, you know, has probably been more enemy than frenemy along the way, you know, it, it became contentious in some ways, even their involvement and how they framed. But, you know, we we had to always remind ourselves that we're not we're trying to build something bigger and the wins in those moments were not just pure revenue. Of course, we were, we were measuring that too, but it was even the idea of someone going back and changing their job title to be a content experience manager because then realizing that's what they really do. Like that was amazing. Uh, and, and starting to see job descriptions out there that talked about the importance of content experience, you know, as, as a skill that you've had. Those were things that were that were really exciting and important to us, and in seeing kind of a trickle out of this.
0: So now, forward thinking. You know, you've you've done all this amazing work to date. What, where, where's your head at for the future of, of continuing to carve this out?
1: So I, I I think in that way, it's really important. You know, whatever business you're a founder of or investing in is you, you've got to paint a vision of where you're trying to take this business, and you need. I often call them frameworks because sometimes we have more than one or too many, uh, that people can buy into and, and won't just speak to what your product does, but speak to your belief of what it takes to be successful in that. You know, so one of the things that I did a couple of years ago now is something I, I never thought I would do because I, I never used to even be the kid who finished books first in my class, but I wrote a book. Um, <laughs> I was probably like the one who used Cole's notes, uh, you know, which is like, Old school Blinkist yeah. for those who don't know, um, but uh, but the the reality for me was it was an opportunity to really put a blueprint down for what I felt we could accomplish, not just as a company but as marketers, right? Like you know, I, I took the same approach with writing that book that I did in, in producing the event, which was Uberflip was not on the cover; it was only mentioned from the perspective not of what our technology did. But more so how I executed some of these strategies myself just happened to be at Uber Flip for a lot, of, a, a lot of the time as CMO, uh, and, and really, you know, provide that vision. Um, you know, an important, an exciting thing for me and Nod was even getting a, a friend of mine who's the, the co-founder of Marketo, John Miller, who went, went on to, to co-found EngageO as well. And he wrote the forward for me. And it was, it was really setting up this vision for what we want to create down the line now i talked about frameworks for us we we have this framework and you know it's similar to to satellite at at the beginning like hubspot they did a great job early on on creating this inbound framework now become a little dated today because no one wants to do just pure inbound you know it's it's very much evolved and i i think a healthy way i mean just a quick tangent there I i remember like back in 2010, 2012 type of time frame. Everyone wanted to be an inbound marketing manager. Like you couldn't hire someone unless you give them that as the as the descriptor. Now, like no one would accept an inbound marketing manager. Like that's so not. Yep. 2021 uh, type of marketing. Uh, I think we're getting better to, to people really being, uh, you know, more well-rounded or more focused on just account engagement in general, but uh, which, which is really important. But, you know, I, I, I think that having that vision to what you want people to fall in line with, like HubSpot did with Inbound, like you know companies like Sixth Sense and Demand Base have done with ABM and us, you know, in the case of content experience, it's not so that we can sell right now. It's so that this can be something that grows, where you've got at some point analysts leaning in and saying this is a category. Like this is something that we've got. And I mentioned this company Aragon doing this research, like that was a big win. Like we we celebrated that not, you know, mainly because it came out of nowhere, right? Like You know, in a moment, all of a sudden we see this, this you know, research report being done and we had no direct involvement in it. And we're like, but we started this. And that was a big win that your team gets to celebrate and and you get to rally around for that next kind of round, like you said, of like, what's next for us. Amazing.
0: Well, I love the journey so far and, and I'm excited to continue to follow along. I'm curious, you know, along your path, who are some of the folks who have been, Either inspirations to you or mentors uh, as you've grown.
1: That's a good good question. I I think you, you get men you get mentors and um you know people to kind of guide you at different stages of your startup. And that said, you never know what nugget they'll give you when you go back. Uh, you know, there's there's a couple of guys uh, very early became our first advisors. They were more coming kind of from the venture space. We were we were non typical. We didn't raise any capital. Really until we were about 10 million and recurring. Wow. Um, and, uh, but these two guys came from the venture world. Uh, their names are Peter Kresha and Mark McLeod. And, and they just were good people for us to bounce and get feedback as we went. Um, but the other thing that, that we also did is we networked really well with thought leaders in our space. Um, and as much as we didn't take any institutional money, we took like some small angel money, very, you know, not early, but, but a little, little in, uh, and those are people like Jay bear. If you know, Jay's, Jay's become a good friend of mine and Ann Hanley. And, you know, these were people who, you know, there's a, a few others who were more product experts or, you know, repeat entrepreneurs. And, and they just became a good sounding board because they understood the problems we were trying to solve. They believed in them. And we could kind of just pick up the phone when you ran into a hurdle, uh, and just get some perspective.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, Randy, thanks for joining me for the conversation. It was, it was really fun. And I think certainly our listeners have a lot to unpack and a to-do list if they're thinking about category of creation. So thanks again.
1: Absolutely.